Welcome to Main Street on this Giving Hearts Thursday on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine with my co-host Ashley Thornburn. Hello, happy Giving Hearts Day to you. This is a wonderful day across the entire state, Ashley, and something sure to make your heart happy on this Giving Hearts Day. Hello. That is the delightful sounds of children playing with my microphone. And yes, it certainly does make my heart happy to hear these children at play. And this is a nice way to feel on Giving Hearts Day. Oh, it sure is. And just a reminder, we have ourselves, Prairie Public, an $80,000 fundraising goal here on Giving Hearts Day. And you can go online and give at prairiepublic.org. Or you can go to their website, givingheartsday.org, which is where I learned about these kids. Thank you. You have to take a shower. Yeah, he needs. <laughs> okay. And what about his shirt? What color of his shirt? His shirt is black. And what about the other one? So here's a little boy learning how to read. There's a group of children here just after taking a nap and just before snack time. Pretty standard behavior at a daycare. Except this is not your standard daycare. For one, 98% of our uh, clients receive childcare assistance or qualify for childcare assistance, um, free or reduced lunch with the you know, food program. 70% of the children come from homes where English isn't the first language. There's also a good number of families that are recently resettled, come from uh, new American backgrounds. Over 90% of our kids are from BIPOC communities, you know, uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. So it's a real mixing pot. Um, so we have families you know, from low-income backgrounds. So just generally um, historically underserved communities. That's Mohammed Hossein. He is the vice president of Jasmine Services, which runs a daycare primarily serving kids with a variety of ethnic backgrounds. Many of the parents, like he mentioned, are English language learners and often work what's called the second or third shift, meaning late into the night or even overnight. I think that's one of the most interesting components of this story. The center is currently expanding both in size and hours to a 24-hour model. Here's more from Muhammad Hussein on how they accommodate kids from many faith, food, and language traditions. How many languages are spoken? Me, personally, I speak five. But within the center, among the children, Mm -hmm. uh, staff, and families, up as high as 12 at one point, we have about eight different languages spoken. And we just have, you know, some additional staff that join the team. Mm -hmm. We have uh, a preschool teacher from Egypt. Uh, We have an assistant from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. We have an aide from Congo. Um, The FM area has become very diverse. We have communities from Somalia, uh, you know, from West Africa, from Congo, Middle East, Afghanistan coming in. And no one culture is the same, right? So being able to recognize that these communities have differences uh, and adapting your program to that service uh, and not being very rigid and understanding that, hey, we may need to pivot, especially language English language learners. Mm-hmm. It's kind of challenging sometimes because they speak their traditional language, right? So when you're trying to get them in a, a English, uh, to get them improved in English and uh, get them to learn English, mm-hmm. how do you do that exactly? Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is get teachers from diverse backgrounds, especially those who can maybe speak 
that child's language. So it helps speed up the process. And um, as a result of that, we have a very strong literacy program where 90% of our kids in the preschool go to kindergarten at or above readiness. Um, There's a family that uh, was resettled that came here. Um, mother didn't speak English. Children did not speak English. One child was an infant. One child was a toddler. When the mother got hired, she was looking for work. Uh, she spoke Arabic. Arabic is one of the languages our director is fluent in and many of the staff. So she was employed, uh, became a teacher, you know, ended up learning English as well. But the children didn't speak English, but by the end of the year were very fluent in the language, you know, tra helping translate for the mother. Yeah. Uh, and each and every of them, each, each and every one of them went to kindergarten um, yeah. ready at or above the readiness level and they're doing very good, mm. which is exactly our mission, giving each child the opportunity that they need to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Immigration patterns, especially uh, to the United States, yeah. two, three hundred years ago was very much like assimilate or you know, get left behind. Are we at a point now where we can look at people's cultural backgrounds and, and understand that one culture, one way of thinking, one way of cooking, mm, we can mm. add and learn instead of everybody needs yeah. to fit in? I feel like, yes, we are. As a society and a community, yes, we are. But we, we, there's always room for improvement, like I said. Um, people need to understand. The most important thing is not being afraid of something you don't know. Just taking the time to explore and understand or appreciate the perspective that um, that diversity comes in so many different ways. That yes, there are communities from from you know, other individuals from other communities, but example, chili. When you cook in chili, mm -hmm. there's more than one way to make chili, right? So, and you can't say that the way you make chili and the way I make chili, no, mine is the only way to do it. So, if you can kind of look at it from that perspective and mm. understand that, um, yeah, there's always versions of, um, yeah, there's, this, there's differences out there. Yeah. Let's not be afraid of the differences. Explore, ask questions. Well, and kids are so naturally wired to that. <laughs> I, I wonder if you have more of an issue with parents or, you know, maybe parents of uh, the, the, the more dominant society in North Dakota. Do you, do you run into challenges? At the center, no. The biggest thing I would say is uh, the community has been very open and responsive and supportive. Um, and I feel like that's as a result of efforts of individuals before us and uh, within the community from other organizations putting in that work. Yeah, uh, our executive director who came here and, uh, you know, saw that there is this particular need specifically mm -hmm. within the early education field in terms of a culturally honoring program, mm -hmm. um, saw that need and created this program you know, to work alongside some of those initiatives that were currently on there. The community has been supportive and understanding. Um, at, the at the end of the day, it comes down to, for all parents, I feel like, every parent loves their child, you know, and, and every parent just wants their child to be better off than, uh, than they were. Um, we're strong advocates that every child deserves access to opportunities, uh, the tools and resources that they need to become successful 
uh, in life, uh, academically and in life, and uh, to become productive members of our societies and uh, productive American citizens. Um, they are our future. Talk a little bit about honoring cultures and, and cultural differences when it comes to the way that food is given here. I mean, there are cultures that sit on the floor and don't use yeah. utensils. There are uh, cultures that, that pray deeply before and after every meal. Yeah, um, that's actually a very good question. So if you look at our menu, we have a very diverse menu, you know, uh, international menu, mm -hmm. you know, in a way. Don't get me wrong, kids love chicken nuggets and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, mozzarella sticks and what got you. Um, but being part of the food program, obviously, you have to have, you know, have nutritionist food. But it it's always good to have something that maybe reminds you of home in a way. And having children from various different backgrounds. Um, we try to, again, that's part of that culturally responsive approach or culturally honoring, you'd say, where it reflects in even the menu. You know, where some of the dishes, you know, you have traditional Somali foods, you have um, some, uh, you know, some uh, Latin food as well. Um, you know, we have the good old casseroles as well. So we just try to be very diverse in that. And the kids love it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Kids love it. Does it get hard? I mean, are, are there enough options to get halal food around here? You know, not really. Um, but actually, you, you touched on a very good point. We don't serve pork, you know. If if we don't serve pork, I don't think it wouldn't affect the family from another religious background who could eat pork. Right? It's, you know, it's not it's not a huge deal if they don't get pork. But there's another families, you know, from certain backgrounds where pork is not allowed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like how a center maybe would exclude peanut butter because there's a child who has an allergy. Sure. We just exclude pork. Mm -hmm. You know, try to incorporate halal foods or certain certain foods without. Um, without ingredients. Parents have been very respond, you know, very understanding, um, you know. We try to educate individuals with our responses and again, adapt our program. So whether it's the menu, um, the instruction, um, this, you know, the, the way we interact with families. And the our hours methods of, that you're open? The hours that we're open even, you know. Mm. Historically, traditionally, yeah, talk, talk a little bit about having a daycare center that's about to go 24 hours. It, it is a need. Um, statistically, families who work, um, families who work non-traditional hours are statistically from you know, low-income or minority backgrounds. Um, although they're all families um, might work second or third shift. Those are higher paying jobs. So part of our, not only are we culturally responsive and honoring, we're holistic in the sense that we serve the children and the families. So, for the parent's perspective, if the parent does good, the child does good. If the child does good, then the parent will also do good. Um, so ensuring that the parents have economic opportunities as well. This was a major need that we've seen. Um, that uh, a lot of inquiries, there's a need of care. Families benefit, employers benefit, everyone benefits. And um, people are able to get access to work and kids have a safe, reliable, environment to seek care. So we've implemented um, you know, some policies where children under three, unfortunately, we won't be able to initially provide care for currently just for safety reasons. Double staffing, for instance, since it's, it's the evening hours, so we want to make sure that we are uh, uh, under the ratios. Okay. Yeah, so, as you can tell, once one starts to wake up, suddenly so we've got yeah. two, three, four babies crying. In babies the are amazing. Here. I feel like they communicate and it's really adorable. Um, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You just see the curiosity in their eyes. The, the doors are locked and the the screens on them black out so that you can't. It's not visible from the outside. Do you have safety concerns? You know, at first, yes. I'll, I'll be very honest. When we first founded our center, we kind of did. Just mm-hmm. A little nervous. Now, <laughs> actually, I still have it saved. We got this uh, hate voicemail. You know, something effing Muslims. Da, 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 da. I'm not phased by it. You know, I travel the whole world. I still have it saved though. Mm. Sometimes listen to it. So why? Kind of remind you of why you do what you do. You know, you know the the importance of this work. And uh, I don't know who that person is, where they are right now, but I hope that they maybe met someone from a different community, had a good experience, or maybe have you ever had samosas? Mm-hmm. Maybe they tried a samosa and fell in love with the culture. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like sometimes you just like lose. You might have that tunnel vision, you know. Mm. So it gives you perspective. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder. This is this is going to be a, a brute force kind of question instead of a, using more of a scalpel. But you're living in a part of the world where the last name Hussein. Yeah. <laughs> how, how's that going for you? <laughs> life is life. Um, you're dealt with the cards you're dealt with. Not that they're cards or anything, but Homeland Security really loves to ask me questions about my trips at the airport. I bet. Every time I land. Muhammad's um, the most popular first name in the world, and yet yeah. how many people have one in their friend circle? Yes, I, I think we're. I think we know some of the agents on a first name basis. Like I, I travel a lot, so mm. I get taken aside. Tell me about your trip. You know, like this is a buddy taking notes and stuff like that. I'm used to it. Mm. Um, you know, being called Muhammad Hussein, uh, <laughs> all the racial slurs that you see, and I got it. Um, you know, any. Biased experiences, prejudice—I've experienced it. We don't have to go too much detail in that. All over the world, Canada, the U.S. But I was fortunate enough to have traveled the world and uh, grew up in many different places. Mm-hmm. Just recently, I was working remotely from Cyprus. Remember for that Turkey? Okay. So meeting people from different cultures, learning different languages. You know, I just wish everyone has that opportunity to go out, step out of your comfort zone. You know, they say ignorance is bliss. So get a little uncomfortable sometimes. I don't know, just go to a local ethnic restaurant, try something different. Hmm. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Either you like the food or you don't like it. So you don't label a group as racists or people with bias or prejudice. You know. It just depends on the individual. We're all different people. The actions of one does not reflect on the others. That's one thing I realized. So, yeah, you know, you can either walk around with a chip on your shoulder, or just not take it personally. That's something a lot of people of color, I feel like, or um, from the community, mm. I've noticed. You can take it two ways. So, you have to become very efficient at processing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I realized, especially getting into business. Um, you kind of have to put on this, I, I don't want to say act, but you have to put on this, give this image, you know, before you can get in, speak a certain way, look a certain way. 
for you to be taken seriously, you know. And then, yeah, but uh, you can't change the system, so you, you just work with it. Yeah. But that's why we're doing this. These are our future leaders. These are our future trailblazers, innovators, pioneers right here. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. is becoming diverse. Uh, some people see that as a bad thing, see it as a good thing. I don't have an opinion on that. Jasmine does not have an opinion on that. Our, our main thing is just making sure every child has the access to quality, affordable, early education and childcare, and the tools, resources that they need to be successful in life in the future. What does a word like success mean to you? I like your questions. What is success? I'd say that's subjective. Success is, I guess, lived experiences may probably change your answer depending on who you are. Success is, for some of these kids, being a first generation college graduate. Success is, for some kids, it's not getting into the criminal justice system. That's just the reality. Success would be becoming a first-time homeowner, um, maybe an entrepreneur. Success would be maybe moving up a couple of tax brackets mm. for the first time. Yeah, or I'm wondering about cultures where women aren't allowed to drive or go to school. Success would be, yeah, opportunity. Basically, success and opportunities. So mothers having the opportunity to educate themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe go back to it starts off with the ELL language courses. ELL is college. English language learners. Sorry, yeah, English language learner uh, programs. We have mothers who started there, mm. went to college, and graduated. So our executive director has worked with them. Mm. It's just opportunities, so freedom, I'd say. And uh, it's not cliche to say that people talk about the American dream. It's bittersweet in the way that. I'm sitting here saying it's, it's, it's achievable. But my lived experiences and some of the environments and individuals that I've you know, maybe been with or gone to school with, you know, probably wasn't as accessible. So, yeah. There, there are disparities sometimes. And when you sit down and think about it, you can mm. see it. So we can do a lot more to, to address those disparities. Where do you think we can make the most progress? I... I thought about that. I've been thinking about that for a very, very long time. Like, what is something we can do to uplift people? And I would say it comes down to economics and money. The way society is. So I would say opportunities for individuals to lift themselves out of poverty, help them move up. And then with that, use, it creates opportunities. Going up so internationally and then being constantly uh, in a space where you are mixing interculturally, what what are some of the things that have come to your mind of like 
oh, I guess I only thought that because somebody told me to think this, or, or the opposite. I understand where you're coming from, but my value set is here. You know, you have the opportunity to strengthen and let go at the same time. Yeah, that has happened a lot, I feel like. Um, but I have realized that, oh, I just assumed something. Mm. I called myself out. Being open to understand that, very, very important. And then on the other side of what you said is um, being able to navigate that, um, uh, being able to navigate that, okay, you may have a certain belief or an opinion. I respect that, you know? Uh, Keyword is I understand and I respect that. But at the same time, being able to also communicate to the individual, okay? However, you know, whatever it may be, my certain cultural beliefs or even just personal, you know, code or something like that. Um, and I have seen that a lot, especially traveling the world. Um, being able to be open and listen to each other. I feel like that's something that's really missing in the world now. I don't know where it went. Listening skills, some of these preschools do better. We call it listening. You, you know, when you're in preschool, you learn about listening skills. You know, act. It's called active listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't active listen anymore. You know, we're just ready to say what we want to say. Yeah, you're just waiting for your opportunity to get. We want your, to react, not respond. Yeah, I already know what I'm gonna say. I don't care. You just say it. Wow, <laughs> right back at you. Yeah, we're not all gonna think the same. We're not all gonna agree on the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but just literally just taking a second and actively listening to what the person is saying and understanding oh okay i heard what you said okay i can understand why you think that or whatever for what reason and then you take the time to just say what your opinion is or your thing is right there and done done. you know it doesn't have to be a duel or anything crazy and i think that sort of active listening and effective communication would really really save a lot of people from misunderstandings. Mm. If you just misunderstand each other, everything else goes out the window. We don't agree on this one thing. That's it. Gloves Mm -hmm. off. Right. You're the enemy. I'm right and you're an idiot. Right, you're an idiot. We're we're neighbors. Our kids go to school together. Five years ago, we were hanging out. You know, it's like, what happened? All that. So, active listening. Mm. What feels the most like home to you? What feels like home? Having traveled so much and not stayed in one place so long, you know, as a a child growing up, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Kenya, the U.S., back to Kenya, to Turkey, to Cyprus, back here. I always felt like I had a suitcase to go back, ready to go. It was exciting. I like adventure, like meeting new people. So, do I really have a home home? A physical location, I don't see it as a physical location or a certain town or a city or country. Home is where, where there's love, you know, where you feel loved and belonging and um, yeah, that's home.
That was Mohammed Hussein, the vice president of Jasmine Services. They are participating in this year's Giving Hearts Day online charity match. In fact, they are specifically fundraising to double the size of their playground. Prairie Public is also participating in Giving Hearts Day along with hundreds of other charities. Give online at givingheartsday.org or find a link at prairiepublic.org. Still to come on Main Street, our weekly news discussion with Dave Thompson and Matt Olin reviews who I think is a superwoman, the movie Nyad. That's after this. Do you heart Prairie Public? We know that you do because you're enjoying this program right now. Giving Hearts Day, the day in this part of the world when people donate to organizations making communities better, is February 8th. Prairie Public is a public service bringing North Dakota and the Prairie Region non-commercial programming that educates, involves, and inspires. Donate to Prairie Public early and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Welcome back to Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine, pleased to be joined by our news director here at Prairie Public, Dave Thompson. Dave, welcome back to Main Street. Thank you, Craig. Glad to be back. Dave, there is a lot to discuss in the news, as there always is. I want to begin with the reported sexual assault numbers that you've reported on that are increasing in Bismarck Mandan, and that's kind of a sad story. It is kind of a sad story, but it may not tell the whole story. The Abused Adult Resource Center in Bismarck, which has lots of programs to help people, uh, victims of assault, they're reporting a 25% increase in sexual assault victims in 2023 compared with 2022. Now, talking to the people at the center, they say it may be that people are more aware of things going on because of an advertising campaign they started, and they're more willing to report. But they also do worry that, yeah, the numbers are going up post-pandemic, and that might be an issue. Very interesting, and that will be one to continue to follow for sure. Absolutely, yes. On a funner note, Dave, you're reporting that Fossil digs now. You can sign up for those in North Dakota in for 2024. That's right. And fossil digs, these public fossil digs are really very, very popular. So they've got all sorts of things that begin on June 10th. There's going to be a dig site south of Dickinson, dig site south of Bismarck, and the newest dig site where they found mosasaurs and more aquatic type dinosaurs and animals is up in the Pemina Gorge, which it, it's kind of cool. I have not taken the time to go on a fossil dig, but I so want to someday. One of the least known national monuments in Wyoming, Dave, you know one of them, right? Devil's Tower. I do. I like Devil's Tower. What's the second one? There's two in Wyoming. Well, I'll tell you, it's Fossil Butte National Monument. And its attraction is, is that you can go there at any time to do exactly this, and few people know about it. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but boy, is it a lot of fun. So I would encourage people to take advantage of this here in North Dakota. Can I ask you where it is in Wyoming? Yeah, it's near near Kemmerer, Wyoming. Okay, yes, okay. I would say maybe about two hours south of Jackson Hole. Gotcha. All right, on to more news, more about energy. Xcel Energy, as a matter of fact, has laid out its plans for power generation, Dave. It has uh, submitted to the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission its new integrated resource plan. And what it says, continued use of two Minnesota nuclear plants. They want to extend the life to at least 2050. Solar farms, wind farms, and two natural gas peaking plants to be only used when there's high power demand. One is scheduled to be built in North Dakota, and that'll be over the next five years. Dave's summit takes a win as the North Dakota Public Service Commission says that the state pipeline ordinances trump local laws. This is kind of a big deal. It is a very big deal. Summit, of course, 
capturing CO2 from ethanol plants in the upper Midwest and taking it to a sequestration site, which is in Mercer County. Well, the Public Service Commission earlier ruled that Summit didn't do some things right in terms of the siting issue. And then there was the issue, can local ordinances subvert state law? Well, he read the state law that was passed in 2019 and says, no, you cannot, except when it comes to roads, which I think is very interesting. I honestly think that they're going to have another hearing here fairly soon, and that'll be about siting. I'm sure that's going to get a lot of attention. On to more discussion, Dave. Recently, as recently as, as this week, about property tax relief in North Dakota. We have that initiated measure that is circulating. I, I don't know where they're at on the initiated measure, but that's a constitutional amendment to prohibit local governments from collecting property taxes. Well, an interim legislative committee is looking at a price tag of $2.5 billion that would be put on state coffers if that happens. So they're trying to come up with some ways to provide real relief and not just have the state pay for some of the property taxes. They're looking at things like capping property tax increases or maybe doing some other type of things. But this interim committee is going to be taking a lot of look at a lot of tax issues over the biennium. So you're going to have to take a look at that and watch it very carefully because they really don't want this, this measure to pass. Dave, is there any chance that we'll actually see the measure on the ballot in your view? You know, that's that's kind of hard to get a handle on right now because you need so many signatures to get it on the ballot. Quite frankly, I have not heard from the supporters about how they're doing. Let me ask you this question quickly, Dave, before we move on. I'm from Wyoming. I haven't been in North Dakota a long time. Is there precedence for getting these constitutional measures on the ballot here in this state? Yes, there is. Tell me and about that. For example, one of the most recent one was the constitutional amendment which put in term limits for North Dakota legislators. Mm. That, that was passed. Now, there are those who have opposed it who says, well, the people who circulated this measure did it under false pretenses because they had signs saying, limit terms of Congress. Those signs were out there too. And they just said, you know, that's probably what people were looking at is Congress, not the legislature. So it is relatively harder to get a constitutional measure on the ballot than it is for a normal initiated measure. But they're still saying that it's probably still too easy, those who oppose you know, the use of the initiative for this kind of legislation. On to what's happening with District 7 Republicans, Dave. They've defeated a censure motion against Representative Jason Doctor. What's the latest there? Well, he's facing a misdemeanor charge for the role in this office lease space deal between his business partners in the state of North Dakota. Now, back on Tuesday, the committee in Doctor's home district had considered and then narrowly defeated a motion to censure, censure him. The district chairman says Doctor has a court date set in May. It's a misdemeanor criminal charge. And he believed that censure at this point would have been inappropriate. But it did come close to passing. Interesting. So that will be one to follow. Yes, we already have asked for uh, expanded coverage to have cameras and microphones in the courtroom when that happens, just because it's an interesting case. Dave, the Great Plains Food Bank reported that they served a record number of people in 2023, and of course, they would prefer to serve no one. What's your take on that story? I find I found that extremely interesting. I, I, I think it's coming out of the pandemic. There still might be some holdover, people seeking to have the food provided. There's a lot of things to unpack here because, yeah, they're very busy. 
They're getting more demand for it. And at the same time, there are job openings. And it's just interesting to try to try to marry all of this, to look at what the actual economy is doing in North Dakota. And it takes somebody with an economic degree that I don't have. And our unemployment rate is very, very, very low. low. Yeah. We've reported on the great work that the Great Plains Food Bank does. They do wonderful work. And it's, it's been interesting for me to learn about how they reach the entire state. Dave, there's at least one new gubernatorial candidate. He's not new to you, Michael Coachman. No, he's not new to me. He has run before for, for statewide office. He is a member of the Rick Becker-type wing of the Republican Party. What does that mean? He's more libertarian. Michael Coachman also has been somebody who has been out there saying, you know, we need term limits. He's been involved in the term limits. And he's also saying that, you know, we need to cut back on taxes, state spending. And he says that he's a constitutionalist. So it's kind of interesting to watch this happen. Representative Kelly Armstrong has also put his hat in the ring. Any others, Dave, that you're hearing about that are still maybe considering a run? Well, there are a couple. I've heard that Public Service Commission Julie Fedorchek was considering at one point or might be considering a run for the U.S. House seat that Kelly Armstrong would be giving up. I've also heard that the lieutenant governor is seriously considering that. So there are things to watch when it comes to the governor's race. Dave, there's been some discussion on the causes of fatal crashes in North Dakota and seemingly lane departure may be a big reason as to why that's happening. What do you know? What I know is that a lot of lane departures are caused by people who are driving looking at their cell phones or looking at something else and they, you know, kind of forget about where they're driving. And yeah, they cross over in the other lane, crash. So there is a real movement in state government to try to get people to, hey, mind your lane first because you are driving. So yeah, I, th I think we all have had those experiences where we may have been distracted for just a second and the car starts to drift. So now they're trying to get it so that we pay more attention to the roads. Dave, also some interesting and positive talk relative to the value of higher education in North Dakota. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, the Chancellor of Higher Education has issued an op-ed for newspapers and North Dakota Monitor carried it saying that, you know, there are national debates on is there a value to higher education? He is claiming and he, with, with lots to back it up that it is a worthwhile investment in North Dakota and is offering significant returns to those who pursue college degrees. And of course, colleges are kind of branching out into other things other than just bachelor's and master's degrees and doctoral degrees. They're into certificates, they're into what they call multi-purpose colleges. I'm Dickinson State is involved in that. Bismarck State College is involved in that. Um, the State College at uh, State College of Science, which is in Wapaton, they're involved in that. And the colleges are thinking a little bit more outside the box and also trying to get students older than average that may want to go back and maybe, you know, get some new skills. Mm -hmm. Dave, is there any more or has there been less discussion lately about how North Dakota's public university system, its colleges and universities, are responding to this free tuition that's available to Minnesota students in Minnesota, the Minnesota Promise? Yeah, there's been some discussion. Dickinson State University's got what they call the Blue Hawk Promise, and there are other colleges that are looking at some kind of 
tuition assistance or some kind of, you know, maybe even free tuition or free room and board to help the out-of-state students come to North Dakota. And if you're living in the Red River Valley, for example, UND and NDSU and the State College of Science all have pretty significant out-of-state student populations. Is it still a major concern for those universities specifically that are here in the eastern side of the state? Absolutely it is. I mean, Mayville, UND, NDSU, North Dakota State College of Science, they're all concerned. Valley City is too. And you've got the tri-college system, and the tri-college system is kind of an interesting thing where you could take enroll at NDSU and take college credits at Concordia and also at MSU Moorhead. What are you working on in your news department? What's, co- t- what's upcoming? Let me just tell you one thing that I am working on. Um, I was looking at minutes of a county commission meeting, and there was a lot of discussion in that county commission about trying to get financial incentives to have people come and work for state's attorneys as prosecutors. So I've got the State's Attorneys Association executive director talking about that, and I'll have that story in the early part of next week. Now, the most important question of the day, Dave, mm-hmm. who are you picking Sunday? Oh, boy. <laughs> I kind of think Kansas City's going to win it. I, I don't think I disagree. Time will tell. But I think it should be a good game that they seem to be matched up. And it would be interesting to see Brock Purdy actually do well. You're rooting for him all the time. It's just one of the great weekends. We talk about how Mondays should be a national holiday, and I'd be all in favor of that. <laughs> we have a big family celebration. So, Dave, thanks for joining us with this weekly news roundup. We certainly appreciate your work as Prairie Public's news director. Well, thank you, Craig. Appreciate it. More Main Street is ahead. Stay with us. Do you heart Prairie Public? We know that you do because you're enjoying this program right now. Giving Hearts Day, the day in this part of the world when people donate to organizations making communities better, is February 8th. Prairie Public is a public service bringing North Dakota and the Prairie Region non-commercial programming that educates, involves, and inspires. Donate to Prairie Public early and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. When you hear the fanfare, that means it's time to go off to the movies with our resident movie critic, Matt O'Lean. Matt, a film about the power of human endurance, the human spirit, and extreme sports. (laughs) Yes. Nyad, now on Netflix. That's where you can find this. That's where I watched it. So Annette Bening plays Diana Nyad, famous, of course, famous long-distance swimmer. Most people are familiar with her. Uh, Jodie Foster plays her friend and coach, Bonnie Stoll, and both received Oscar nominations, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I like this movie better than I thought I was going to. You know, biopics are, you know, there's so many of them. You know, Maestro and Oppenheimer, and there's a paint-by-numbers way Mm -hmm. that biopics are done. But I think what makes this film work pretty well is it focuses on one event. So it's not, there are flashbacks when she's a young swimmer, you know, working with her coach and her dad. But basically, it's one part of her life, and that is her multiple attempts to swim from Cuba to Florida without a break. And what I mean by without a break is she is not allowed to get in the boat that is trailing her, her navigator, her coach, all that stuff. So I think by focusing on her uh, obsession, it is an obsession Mm -hmm. when you watch the movie, to do this, 
and everybody's got to come along with her and be supportive. I think that is why the film works. I think the directors are uh, Elizabeth Chai Vasarli and her husband Jimmy Chin, and they're mostly documentary filmmakers. This is their first narrative, and I think they navigated it pretty well. The swimming scenes are really good. Annette Benning is in phenomenal condition at age 65 to do this. Jodie Foster, you know, still has that screen presence that's all she's always had. She's really, really good as her coach. Definitely deserve that supporting actress nomination. Both are in really terrific shape, which you need to be to do this movie. I think that works as well. But really the dry land scenes, the non-swimming scenes are interesting too, Ashley, because it's this push and pull of their friendship. And Nyad really comes off amazing, but also a bit narcissistic and Mm. egotistical. And it's based on her own memoir called Find a Way. And I like that they did not sugarcoat everything. She really is a hard person to be around because everyone has to be at her behest. And some people don't want to do the trip with her. Some do. You know, there's multiple attempts. So I like that they didn't sugarcoat that she can be a tricky person to be around because she's so obsessed with doing this amazing feat. Well, pulling off something like that, usually, I mean, there is that mindset. It it is a singular focus that the downside of that is, you know, the realization of other people's needs. (laughs) It is. And there's a couple really good scenes with Benning and Foster where this becomes a huge issue where Foster Mm. is like, I am done. I am done living my life around you. Yeah. Reese Ifans, very good. Uh, Welsh actor as John Bartlett. He's the navigator that kind of knows that that course, Ashley, from Cuba to Florida, knows when the right time is to go, when they're going to get the right currents, the right weather, all that stuff. So uh, I would in- in- encourage people to watch this movie. Some of the flashbacks get a little... Um, maybe over-directed, I would say, Hmm. but they're important. I think the flashbacks are important to find out how it all started for her as a swimmer. There's some archival footage of her on the Johnny Carson show years ago Hmm. that's kind of funny as well. Uh, But overall, I liked it, and overall, I'm okay with Benning getting the Oscar nomination. There was a lot of hand-wringing, as you know, Ashley, that morning about Margot Robbie not being nominated for Barbie. What I can tell you is it's such a competitive Best Actress year. Natalie Portman didn't get in for May-December. Only five can get in. And Benning got in, Robbie didn't. I assume Robbie was sixth in the voting. I don't think I don't think there's a conspiracy against Margot Robbie by the actors branch. But I think Benning's physical transformation to do this swimming probably aided in her Oscar nominee nomination. Matt, you said some of the flashbacks were what you'd call over directed. Flesh out that word a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Oh, they don't, they're not consistent with the rest of the film and how they film the rest of the movie. But I mean, they're not, they're not bad. I, I don't want to say that, Ashley. They just seem like you're watching a different movie a little bit with the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. There's some other scenes as well where she's swimming where it feels like you're watching kind of a slightly different movie. I don't mind directorial tricks and things like that, but maybe just a little over directed. Maybe, maybe fl- they were directed flashy mm-hmm. to kind of to suggest, oh, these are flashbacks, let's have them yeah. be flashy. And I know flashbacks and dream sequences can be very different film filming, but they didn't they didn't ruin the film or anything like mm-hmm. that. But so overall I did like this movie enough. But I think what makes the movie Ashley is Benning and Foster. If yeah. they didn't have these two actresses, <laughs> this might have been a film that nobody saw. Yeah. And it, they really are amazing together. They have great chemistry together. Jodie Foster probably is the most successful case you can find in movie history of transition from child star 
to successful adult star. Mm. She went away to college for four years, came back. That's how she did it when she went to Yale. She still has this great screen presence that, you know, enabled her to win a couple Oscars. But mm-hmm. she is she is the poster child for how to transition from child star to adult film star. Adult, I don't mean adult <laughs> film star like you, like I just... That came off wrong. A movie you, star you, who movie happens star to be an who adult. plays adults. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, talking about the dynamic between Benning and Foster, very much a sort of coach and, and athlete relationship. Is it also a friendship? Yes, they are very good friends, not romantically, not romantic friends in the movie, but they have been friends forever. And I think mm-hmm. that is where... When we have friends that we have been friends with a long time and there's there's angst and there's tension, sure. that can be really tricky. And I think those scenes uh, directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai uh, Vasarly are really well done. These kind of non-swimming scenes where this friendship is really tested to the limit. So it's, a, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's a very good film. I will say there are still some critics out there who aren't convinced that were enough um, objective bystanders on this swim to verify that she really did it. If you look it up, there is still, it's still kind of, wow. um, you know, we have to, we have to assume Nyad is telling us the truth. There were a lot of people with her, but she, my understanding is she didn't know she had to have independent verification on this. If mm-hmm. you look it up, there are, there are some articles of people that aren't quite sure she did this without getting in the boat to rest. So, that take it for take take that for what it is, but it's a solid movie. It's on Netflix, and their Oscar nominations for Benning and Foster, I think, are pretty well deserved. Well, Annette Benning and her husband Warren Beatty have a great number of nominations they do, a and lot. shockingly few wins. Yes, uh, I- including you know none for and just one for, for Warren right for uh, Annette Benning here, but uh, she was nominated <laughs> uh, for which five okay. films? The Grifters, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Being Julia, is that 2004, yep. Ashley? Okay. There's one in between there. There's one in between there. That is um, American Beauty, mm-hmm. 1999. Yep. And then The Kids Are All Right, 2010. Yep. And now Nyad. Yeah, and Warren's got a lot of nominations. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if you want me to. <laughs> I don't know if we need to go He just has the one win, he, and that yeah, was for directing Reds. Director for Reds, right. yep. Uh, but he has a total oh, of 14 lot, yeah. nominations. All right. We've been to the movies with Madeline. I'm Jeremy Hobson. As the Supreme Court hears oral arguments about whether Donald Trump can be removed from the ballot because of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, we want to know what you think. Should Trump be allowed on the ballot this fall? You can reach out to us at 844-4MIDDLE. That's 844-464-3353. Either leave a message or join us live next time on The Middle. Friday at 3 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Mountain. This is Dakota Datebook for February 8th. Carl Ben Eilson is a famed North Dakotan, known for being a pioneer of polar aviation. On November 9th, 1929, Eilson and his mechanic, Earl Borland, disappeared on a flight to Siberia. They were on a rescue mission to an ice-bound ship. By November 16th, the ship reported that the plane had not arrived. 
A Russian trapper reported hearing a plane, but hadn't seen it. A dog sled driver reported seeing smoke from a fire about 35 miles away from the trapped ship. Newspapers across the country reported on the search. In December 1929, the Nome Nugget of Nome, Alaska, reported that an air search had turned up no sign of the missing plane. The Evening Star of Washington, D.C. reported that bad weather was holding up the search, with gale winds reaching 55 miles an hour. Bad weather plagued search attempts as December turned into January. Several planes were wrecked when they tried to take off. Complicating the search was the fact that no one knew where Eilson had gone down. Had he crashed in the vicinity of the ship? He may have decided to turn back toward Alaska. Secretary of the Interior Ray Wilbur approached the War Department for assistance and asked the Soviet government to help. Civilian and military pilots joined the search. A Soviet ship reported that natives had seen smoke and reported hearing a plane. By the end of January, hopes for the survival of the missing men had dwindled. The Bismarck Tribune stated what everyone knew in their hearts, that only bare hope remains for Eilson and Borland. The discovery of Eilson's wrecked plane came on January 25th. It now became a search for the bodies. On this date, in 1930, it was reported that the plane had been covered over by a blizzard. Russian searchers were determined in their efforts to dig it out. Borland's body was finally found on February 17th, Eilson's on February 20th. Carl Ben Eilson is buried in St. John's Cemetery in Hatton, North Dakota. And several North Dakota schools are named for him, as is Eilson Air Force Base in Alaska. He was inducted into the North Dakota Aviation Hall of Fame in 1997 and honored that same year by Governor Schaefer with the Theodore Roosevelt Rough Rider Award. Today's Dakota Datebook was written by Dr. Carol Butcher. I'm Merrill Pepcorn. Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota with funding from Humanities North Dakota. That's it for today's Main Street. Thank you so much for joining us on today's All Things Considered and tomorrow's The Middle with Jeremy Hobson. It's the Supreme Court hearing that was held today, hearing oral arguments about the 14th Amendment and its impact on President Trump and the ballot this fall. Monday on Main Street, a podcast for North Dakota women new to our state and wanting to make it home. And just a final reminder today that Prairie Public is participating in Giving Hearts Day and your contribution is being matched. Find a link at prairiepublic.org. Enjoy the rest of your day.